at the letter to the Hebrews, and I'll be reading for us chapter 12, verses 1 through 13. So if you're at home on the live stream, I invite you to open up a Bible at home or maybe your phone and find the text. If you're here in the sanctuary, you can look on the screens in front of you for today's scripture. Listen to God's word. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight in the sin that clings so closely and let us run with perseverance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, who for the sake of the joy that was set before him endured the cross, disregarding its shame, and has taken his seat at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such hostility against himself from sinners, so that you may not grow weary or lose heart. In your struggle against sin, you have not resisted to the point of shedding your blood, and you have forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as children. My child, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, or lose heart when you are punished by him. For the Lord disciplines those whom he loves and chastises every child whom he accepts. Endure trials for the sake of discipline, God is treating you as children. For what child is there whom a parent does not discipline? If you do not have that discipline in which all children share, then you are illegitimate and not his children. Moreover, we had human parents to discipline us, and we respected them. Should we not be even more willing to be subject to the Father in spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as seemed best to them. But he disciplines us for our good in order that we may share his holiness. Now, discipline always seems painful rather than pleasant at the time, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Therefore, lift your drooping hands, strengthen your weak knees, and make straight paths for your feet, so that what is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed." This is the gift of God's word. Let's pray together. Gracious God, may the words of my mouth, the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable in thy sight. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer, in Jesus' name we pray, amen. So I just read for you Hebrews chapter 12. And Hebrews chapter 12 is about at the end of the letter to the Hebrews. So I feel like I need to provide a little bit more context to what's happening to the whole of the letter to make, to make light of what's happening in chapter 12. And in fact, I'll just give a little bit more context, not just what's happening, but what's surrounding it also. As we've seen for the last few weeks, we've been looking at the epistles and the letters. And much of the letters were written in the middle of the first century AD, like the 50s and 60s by the Apostle Paul to different churches spread throughout the Mediterranean, the ancient Near East. And Hebrews is slightly different. Most scholars think it was written kind of the end of the first century AD, maybe around the years 90. Unfortunately, the people that wrote these letters, how come they didn't write a date on their letters? You know, why didn't they write June 5th, 90 AD? I don't get it. Maybe they didn't have good teachers like they teach now to write letters with dates. They didn't do it. But for some reason, you know, they didn't do it. So, but we have these great techniques through scholarship to be able to try to ascertain when these things were written. 
And the Apostle Paul didn't write this letter. We don't know who wrote it, but it was probably written at the end of the first century. In the context of what Christian discipleship looked like in 50 AD and 90 AD were radically different. Perhaps you could remember some of those letters that the Apostle Paul wrote. And there was this great charisma for following Jesus and telling everybody about Jesus and spreading the word about all these amazing things that had happened. Paul's own journey of faith when he had converted to Christianity, telling people about it everywhere he went. There is this enthusiasm, this charisma. And some of that kind of gives way afterwards. Part of the reason why some of that charisma gives way is that um, for the Apostle Paul and what the Christians were looking forward to was the second coming of Jesus. This promise that Jesus would come back. And they had full expectation and hope and faith that Jesus would return by the end of their ministry. So the Apostle Paul had this great urgency that he shared Jesus with people about because he was hoping that they would know about Jesus and then experience Jesus to come back in the second coming. But it does not come to pass. Jesus doesn't come back. And so by the end of the first century, there's a great deal of people within the Christian tradition that are wondering about, well, if Jesus isn't coming back, then what is Jesus's role anymore in the life of faith? Like, what does Jesus have to do with this? I thought that was what made for the hope that we had, that Jesus would return to us, that this was primary to them. And instead of that coming to pass, now there's a bunch of uncertainty in the life of the community because this is what they were hoping for. They are hoping that Jesus would return, but he doesn't. So between 50 and 90 AD, there's a lot of consternation. There's a lot of uncertainty. Who is Jesus? Jesus has lost a bit of his place in the life of faith for the Christian disciples. And it begins to transition into a more formal religion. Some of that charisma is lost. The church is a little bit unwavering. I'm like, who are we? You know, where, I thought Jesus was supposed to come back. How are we supposed to tell people about Jesus without that sort of hope and expectation of his return? So the letter to Hebrews is written in the midst of this context of deep uncertainty about the future of their Christian community. A tremendous amount of uncertainty. This past fall, you know how it goes when you're thinking about a friend sometimes, or maybe you're having a piece of toast for breakfast, or you hear a song, and you think of an old friend or a family member. And uh, this past fall, I was, I don't know, I don't know what I was doing, but something sparked a memory for me in which I remembered a really good friend of mine from college and from after college, and I thought I should reach out and give this person a call, give her a call. And so just kind of out of nowhere, I sent this old friend a text message and said, hey, we should catch up. I wonder how you're doing. Uh, she has a child that's the same age as my oldest child. So I just thought maybe we could just commiserate about being parents together for a little bit, about two-year-olds. So I gave my friend a call, and, and she told me on the phone that day that um, un, unbeknownst to so many people, uh, she hadn't told a lot of people, but she had been pregnant, and she had some medical complications, and so she didn't tell everybody on social media about it but she ended up having to have her child at about 25 weeks. And at that point when I talked to her in the fall, she and her child had been in the NICU at a children's hospital for a month already. And they were gonna to have to be in the NICU for two more months after that. And I remember talking to my friend, just obviously my heart was breaking, her heart was broken. Being in the NICU for like one or two days is hard enough. Just seeing a child attached to all these tubes, 
hoping, waiting, just trying to make your way through a deeply uncertain time, hoping that a child will get better. And it was so heartbreaking talking to my friend, just wondering how things were going. She'd, only been, she'd already been through a month. She had two more months to go. And so my heart was breaking with her. And I just thought, you know, as we all do with our friends, what do you say to a friend when they're going through a hard time like that or an uncertain time like that? Um, you can't really say much except say, I care about you and I'm praying for you and I'm here for you. Give me a call if you want to talk more about it in a couple weeks and I'll be here. I'll listen to you. I'll be there with you. So she was going through this deep place of uncertain time in the midst of having this second child. So we did do the commiserating, but we also got to build each other up a little bit on that phone call and we were able to follow up with each other afterwards. And in these past few weeks, I've tried to reach out to a lot of people here in the life of this church too and have some conversations with people. If the church that was being written to in Hebrews was facing uncertain times, my friend faced some uncertain times, I think people in our church are feeling a sense of uncertainty right now about the future of this faith community in a way. There's a lot of hope, there's a lot of excitement for the future, but I think there's a lot of uncertainty and anxiety too as I've talked to people. There's a sense of worry about the future. And that makes sense, right? Because oftentimes anxiety and stress is the result of perceived threats. And when you think five months out or a year out and you wonder what things may be like, you wonder what things may be like for our church community, I mean, it makes sense, right? It's very normal to have a sense of stress or worry or concern about what things may feel like down the road because it's an unknown. And in times of unknown, in times of uncertainty, it's very normal to feel that kind of stress and that worry and that concern, much like my friend who was there in the NICU, you know, just hoping, wondering, will we make it through this? Will we make it through the next two months of being here? And us too, I'm sure there's a lot of people, as I've been talking to them, wondering about what it will look like in five months, what it'll look like in a year, what it'll look like in two years. And there's a sense of worry and concern in some people's hearts. There's also hope, but I've also just noticed there is uncertainty, there is worry in the midst of people. That kind of uncertainty and worry is exactly why the letter of Hebrews was written. And in this letter, there's something so profound and beautiful. I think it's good for us too, and where we are right now with the uncertainty that we're facing with our church community for a whole variety of reasons. As I said, the letter is written because, you know, Jesus has sort of lost centrality to that faith community because they'd hoped he would return again. And so some people have decided to put Jesus to the side a little bit for their faith. But instead Hebrews says, no, let's bring Jesus right into the center. And the argument is profound and beautiful. Essentially, he says, let's use Jesus as a metaphor and calling him the high priest. So for the community that Hebrews was being written to was probably steeped in Judaism. And priests in the Jewish tradition were the religious leaders who stood between the people of God and God. They interceded on behalf for the people. And one of the things that priests would do was offer up animal sacrifice, right? Which is a very strange thing that we are not normally doing in 2021. <laughs> it's not a thing that we are very accustomed to, but in the world 2000 years ago, animal sacrifice was a quite normal thing. And for the people that it was being written to, they would know exactly what this meant. To absolve people's sin, there would be some kind of sacrifice 
to make the people right with God again. And so Hebrews says, Jesus is the high priest. He intercedes on behalf of God for us. And it's not that Jesus himself does and brings an animal, but he himself is the one who gives up his life for all so that all might find life in Jesus. It shifts from this hope of Jesus returning and being central to the faith to looking at Jesus' sacrifice that he makes as being central to the life of faith. And it works so well for the letter to the Hebrews because the people were in such a tremendous amount of uncertainty and persecution. They knew firsthand what it was like to be in a time of uncertainty and suffering. And so the letter to the Hebrews is written directly to these people who are going through an uncertain time. And it says, Jesus, Jesus is the high priest. He gave up his life for all so that all may find life in him. Now, I know you, you all like Hebrews chapter 12, right? You all like Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 through 3, don't you? How many of you heard it before? Yeah, everybody's heard Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. But I like Hebrews chapter 11. And I want to read a little bit of Hebrews chapter 11 for us, okay? <laughs> I want to read a little bit of Hebrews chapter 11 for us. Because I think this will make sense to us about why Jesus is central to our faith, why it was to the Hebrews, and what it means to look into Jesus when we face times of uncertainty too, okay? Because they were at a deep place of uncertainty and I know we're feeling that way too. And I just want you to hear the words of Hebrews 11 and so that you might find the perseverance you need for the race that you're running in your life, okay? Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Indeed, faith our ancestors received approval. By faith, we understand that the worlds were prepared by the word of God so that what is seen was made from things that are not visible. By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain's. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to set out for a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. By faith, Abraham, when put to the test, offered up Isaac, who had received the promises, was ready to offer up his only son. By faith, Moses was hidden by his parents for three months after his birth because they saw that the child was beautiful and they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to share ill treatment with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. By faith, he left Egypt unafraid of the king's anger, for he persevered as though he saw who is invisible. By faith, he kept the Passover and the sprinkling of blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn would not touch the firstborn of Israel. By faith, the people passed through the Red Sea as if it were dry land, but when the Egyptians attempted to do so, they were drowned. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell after they had been encircled for seven days. By faith, Rahab the prostitute did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had received the spies in peace. Yet all these, though they were commended for their faith, did not receive what was promised, since God had provided something better so that they would not apart from us be made perfect. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight in the sin that clings so closely and let us run with perseverance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, 
who for the sake of the joy that was set before him endured the cross, disregarding its shame and has taken his seat at the right hand of the throne of God by faith. I love Hebrews chapter 11, right? It's like it's hard not to read that chapter and get so emotional because sometimes in these times of uncertainty in our life, it's like, yeah, there's a lot of stuff to worry about. But in the same sense, there is Jesus and there is God and there is faith that has allowed this great cloud of witnesses through all of history to be able to cling closely to God, right? Through faith. And I think that's so true for each and every one of us in our lives. And it's hard to capture in words. It's hard to be able to communicate, but you know it when I'm talking about it. So when we face times of uncertainty, look to Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. And then let's look to the great clouds of witnesses, the brothers and sisters in Christ all around us who know that faith, who've walked that faith. Jesus gave his life for all so that all might find life in him. Right before this worship service, Pastor Mary asked me what I thought about motherly love. I didn't have an answer right away. It's really hard to answer that question. What do you think about motherly love? And I didn't have an answer because I started thinking, thinking about my mom, thinking about other moms, thinking about my wife, thinking about all the moms I know. It's like each one's a little bit different. But as I was thinking about it more, I, I didn't give you an answer. I didn't know how to answer that question. Um, but as I was sitting here, I was thinking about my, you know, I'm not a mom, but I'm a parent now. And uh, seeing my wife be a parent. And, and, and now more than anything, I, th- I see parenting as a, and motherly love as perseverance. As perseverance. It's a race, right? It is a race. And it's not a, it's not a sprint. <laughs> it's a journey. It's a lifelong pursuit. And maybe even beyond that, And I see it as a perseverance. And I think these words in Hebrews can help us relate today to that idea of motherly love. At the very end of chapter 12 that I read to you today, the author says something to the extent of, so lift up your drooping hands. Strengthen your weak knees. Find the straight path and go down it. And run the race with perseverance. And when things are hard and things are uncertain in your life, look to Jesus, because that's exactly what Jesus did. He had drooping hands, he had weak knees, and yet he persevered. So we can look to Jesus too, my friends, in Christ. He gave his life for all so that all may find life in him. He's the high priest. Join me in a word of prayer. God, I do give you thanks for Jesus and give you thanks for faith, God, that you instill in us, you give to us the faithfulness of Jesus. I'm thankful for all these things, Lord, and that when things are uncertain in life, it's not so much that we need to pick ourselves up, but we simply need to look at Jesus, the one who picks us up. And we're thankful for Jesus for that, God. And I pray today for mothers everywhere and for those mothers that are running the race right now that might have those weak hands and those, those drooping hands and those weak knees, God, that your spirit would inspire them and lift them up to do the good work of parenting and loving and caring for those little ones that they have in their life. And that the world would be a place, God, that would um, care for 
women and mothers in this world too, in all ways, God, that would lift them up and be helpful to them in all walks of life. So Lord, we give you thanks for this text and we give you thanks for your son, Jesus Christ. We pray in his name, amen.